Just going to be uh, spending some time in prayer this morning. One of the opportunities I had this week was to uh, work with uh, Arnie. Arnie's got a truck, and we had uh, a family that is, uh, is renting space in, the, in Fran's home. And uh, so two Ukraini- Ukrainian families who are trying to rebuild their lives uh, here. And so we had the opportunity we've had on the newsletter. We're still looking for two queen-size beds, but we got two single beds for the kids. As soon as we got them, they were getting them set up in their room and, uh, and a couch as well. And as Arnie and I were chatting, going to pick up something else, uh, he said, you know, it sure brings it home, doesn't it? And it does. It does. And uh, so if you have access to two queen bed frames, that would be great. We would love to have that. But... Uh, those are also uh, opportunities of what, that come up within our lives, that, that make what we see globally, right? It, it brings it home, at least in, in part. And so we want to be uh, praying for, uh, that's what I want to pray for this morning. There are uh, many other conflicts going around in the, in the world and here close to home as well. Let's pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, Creator, Redeemer, we have sung of your praise, remembered your story in song this morning. Lord, we have talked about the foundation of life. And Lord, there are times in lives when the foundations of our lives, personally, collectively, Lord, seem to be shaken, whether literally through the earthquakes or wars or famines and disasters. Or, Lord, through a personal loss that comes into our lives and what we thought was a a given, a something solid in our life is suddenly shaken. Lord, it is then we realize how good it is to know that you are the rock. You are the foundation, Lord, not only of our lives, but, Lord, of this world. You set it on its foundations. It cannot be shaken. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who restores. Lord, we celebrated in communion communion this morning your restoration power. Lord, it is wonderful to see restoration at work, to hear a testimony to to your restoration power. And so, Lord, we pray for restoration, Lord, in the lives of so many people's lives who have been so disrupted, for such loss that they have experienced, Lord, it can seem absolutely overwhelming. And yet, Lord, you are the God who says that we are never without hope because you are the one who entered into all of the plight of this world, Lord, in your Son, Jesus Christ. You came to be our champion to take upon yourself the sin of the whole world. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, as we look and gaze into the temptations of your Son in the wilderness, Lord, I pray that you would not only open our eyes, but our hearts, that you might give us renewed hope and trust in you. Amen. Oh, I should also mention Easter Sunday, there's planning to have a choir, so if you're interested in practicing for that choir, the rehearsals are going to be starting next Sunday after the service, but we'd like to know this Sunday, and you can talk to uh, my wife Elaine if you're interested. Now, last Sunday was the first season, the first Sunday in the season of Lent. 
And uh, leading up to Easter provides us with an opportunity to remember the formative 40-day period that Jesus spent in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. Now, the wilderness was clearly a precarious place, the desert, without resources. And yet it was the place where God met with his people in a special way, both in the Old Testament and also in the New And he provided for them also in ways that they had never experienced before. It was and is a place and a season where God's people learn to grow deeper in their trust and obedience. Jesus' baptism, back it was immediately and his time of testing that followed, was a kind of, I think of it as spiritual boot camp, because it was intense. And it was very important in his life and ministry. Uh, The writer to Hebrews, in in Hebrews chapter 4, he recalls Jesus' temptation and he emphasized one particular practical item of importance for us. He said, because of this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Empathize, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He was victorious. He says, therefore, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, although Jesus' temptations were unique to his mission as the Messiah, the hero of the story, we will also see that they relate to us. They model for us how to be victorious in the tests and temptations that we face in our lives. Let's uh, read Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I don't know about you, but I find that, found that opening line that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, both striking and strange. Especially given the fact that one of the things that Jesus taught his followers to pray was, Lead us not into temptation. So why then would the Spirit who had descended upon him at his baptism, 
in the, in chapter, at the end of chapter 3 and affirmed his identity and mission, why would the Spirit now lead him into the wilderness to be tempted not by the devil? Well, it's important first to understand the language of testing and temptation. It's the same word often in Greek. The difference is in the intent. You see, when one is being tested with the motive and intent of strengthening, we call it testing. But when one is being tested in order to try to make that person fail, it is temptation. And Satan is the one who tries to get us to fail. God is the one who tries to test us for our good, for success. Testing is a vital and essential aspect of life and discipleship. I mean, when we want to know that people in their professions, for example, have undergone testing and passed, right? If you went into see your, your doctor or, uh, you know, into the hospital and you found out, oh yeah, they all tested, you know, they went through their tests and they failed. You wouldn't feel that confident, you know, with their diagnosis and treatment, right? Or if you have a tradespeople, I remember working in construction and we had a well, the guy said he was a plumber, but nothing worked after he installed it. And we discovered, well, yeah, he hadn't actually passed any of his tests. He wasn't a real plumber. Testing is an essential part for life and discipleship. And so Jesus was led in, into the wilderness by the Spirit. But the devil tried to misdirect that, taking the legitimate parts of Jesus' calling and distort them. An application already, I think, is that we should expect testing. Being committed followers of God does not exempt us from temptation. In fact, as a commentator Fred Craddock notes, it is those who are most engaged in the way of God who seem to experience most intensely, intensely the opposition of evil. Jesus is the example of that. Satan goes after those who are ministry-minded. And another application, though, is also that we should expect God's help. Right? The Spirit was the one. While the presence of the Spirit does not immunize us against temptation, it does, he does ensure the availability of God's power to help overcome it. Whatever the source of that temptation, whether it's internal or external, and why we might wonder, did Jesus, was he led there for 40 days of fasting? Fasting was, of course, a natural complement for serious thinking and prayer about his unique identity and mission. The weight of the world, we might say, was on his shoulders. Now, there are also clear parallels between Jesus' experience and that of Moses in the Old Testament, who fasted 40 days and nights on Mount Sinai at the time when God's revelation and mission was being given to him. And also Elijah, Elijah living in the days of Elijah, we sometimes sing, those were the dark, one of some of the darkest days. And that God sent him back to Sinai, to Mount Sinai, to the mountain of God, to recall him. And he spent 40 days and 40 nights there. And of course, We've been through working through the book of Exodus, and Israel will go into the wilderness for 40 years, but they will all go into this wilderness school as God was preparing them for their mission. 
And so the question becomes, how will Jesus respond following his baptism? Remember, Israel also went through the Red Sea. It was like their baptism, right? A new life in a new land. And now the mission that is being given for them. And how will he respond as he prepares for his mission as the hero of this story, as the one that God is going to use to restore, to change the trajectory of the human story from continually downhill to one with a glorious outcome. Jesus is not merely tested as a human like we are. He's also tested as the incarnate Son of God, the unique Son of God. And so Jesus' struggle in one sense was unique and unlike our own. His battle with the devil was part of the accomplishment of our salvation, part of his undoing Adam and Eve's failure in the Garden of Eden. And so we must distinguish between what Jesus did for us in facing these temptations and what we can learn from him to help us in our own fight against sin. Let's look at some of the specific tests and temptations, beginning with the first If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now the if can be read in two different ways. It could be a cynical question meant to cast doubt on Jesus' identity and mission. So if you really are, though I very much doubt it, the Son, then prove it. Prove it to me and to yourself. Remove all doubt and uncertainty. Or the if might be, Since, since you are the Son of God, then use it. Use it to save yourself and others with the powers that you have. And do it right now. Why wait? Take matters into your own hands. Like Abraham and Sarah did in the Old Testament. When instead of waiting for God's timing, they took matters into their own hands. I think that's something of the temptation here. You see, clearly Jesus had been marked out for special, very special service at his baptism. At his baptism, he had fully surrendered himself. That symbol of baptism going, fully surrendered himself into God's hands. And in response, the heavenly father had confirmed his identity and mission. This is my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. It was a defining moment confirming his identity and mission and launching him into it. And yet, here he is, out in the wilderness, about to starve to death. Remember, Israel, all that glorious power that had been exercised on their behalf as God's son, and they, and they came out, and then suddenly they are in the, in the wilderness, and they're ready to die of thirst. And they grumble, and they complain But this Son of God, Jesus, he relives the experience of God's Son, Israel, but in victory rather than in defeat. Now, we do not have God-like powers. You know, if I was hungry, it would be no temptation at all for me to say, turn these stones, you know, into bread. I don't have that power, right? But often, rather than wait for God to meet our needs... Or fulfill our desires. We are tempted to take matters in our own hands. To use whatever power or resources that we do have. Like Abraham and Sarah did. To satisfy our desires or or save ourselves from what we think is needless pain and suffering. 
As a, as a group this week, we, uh, we watched a, a live stream of a, of a session on medical assistance in dying. Uh, that is, especially, that has been going on in, in Canada. But one of the things is that we think in our culture, all suffering is futile. We want to be masters of our own lives at every stage, including right to the end. It's needless pain and suffering. Why not end it? I think it's one illustration of the temptation that Jesus had as well to shorten, to put an end to the suffering and pain that would be ahead of him in the cross by taking that route. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus' response is a direct quote from Deuteronomy as well, chapter 8, verse 3. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. All of Jesus' responses will be direct quotes, not only from Scripture, but from a very particular place in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapters 6 to 8, where Moses is going over with the Israelites, remember your time of testing in the wilderness. What were the lessons that God had for you? And Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 to 3, summarize uh, why God led them into the wilderness and what lesson he wanted them to learn, to equip them for their mission. Let's uh, read that. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 to 3. There it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And just pausing there, because when you are going to face enemies in the promised land way bigger than you, you need to follow all my instructions down to the letter. And the Lord humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, so you, you experienced challenges far beyond what you had experienced, but you also discovered, experienced God's provision beyond anything that you had ever known. And he did this in order to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So those words, not by bread alone, they allow the necessity of bread for physical life. But it implies that bread alone is insufficient. Think of it this way. It is planning for retirement is good, right? But planning for eternity is essential. It is far superior. It is is way more important. And what Jesus says here is similar to what he says later to his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 34. He will say say to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That is what I crave most of all. And doing his work is the only thing that really satisfies me. You see, Jesus here was rejecting any limits to his obedience by embracing his complete trust in God. Deuteronomy 6 would say, Love the Lord your God with some of your heart and some of your soul. No, that's right. All, all, completely. The second temptation If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, right? For it is written. And notice the devil knows how to quote scripture too. Word 
for word. Some people find that surprising. But he has a very long track record, actually, of quoting and using God's word for his own ends. Remember Genesis 3? The serpent says to Eve, did God really say? And then he kind of rephrases with a slight variation, and especially he reframes the meaning of what God said as something excessively restrictive, not life-giving. Now, the basic message of the psalm that the devil is quoting here, Psalm 91, verses 11 to 12, the basic message is simply that God cares for and protects the faithful. Therefore, they don't need to worry. Jesus will talk about, do not worry about your life, taking that principle. It is not, though, a promise that God is at his people's beck and call. Not like, a, you know, God of the genie, right? Rub the lamp. I need a miracle right now, God. That puts us in control. You know, God at our beck and call. And the reference to angelic protection anticipates what Jesus will say when he is later arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he tells his disciples to put away their swords. He says if he wanted, all he needed to do was ask the Father and he would have more than 12 legions of angels at his disposal just like that to rescue him. Jesus made the decision to embrace rather than avoid the cross here in the wilderness. His death on the cross, therefore, was not a sign of great weakness, but a sign of great strength. Courageous willingness, I would call it. To not use the power at his disposal for self-preservation. I couldn't do that. And to not use it to achieve instant success or popularity. Jesus responds once again, he responds once again by quoting scripture. Deuteronomy 6 verse 16. And he does so to underline that he will not test God on this or on any other issue. Instead of acting in his own self-interest, he will act fully and wholeheartedly in the best interest of the Father's will. Whatever the cost, no limitations, no exceptions. Well, the third temptation. All this I will give you. He's showing him a very, gone up on a high mountain. All this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Satan is called the God of this age, and he takes Jesus to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. It's probably a visionary vantage point, but it does recall Moses in Deuteronomy 34 looking out over all the promised land before he dies in that case, but this vantage point of seeing. And Satan tempts him to embrace and use political power and wealth to establish his kingdom on earth. Think of a, a state-sponsored and state-supported religion. See a lot of that in the history of the world. It's a temptation that many people have embraced. As far back as the Herodians in Jesus' day, they said, we can't beat Rome. Let's, you know, uh, let's get on the good side of Rome and we will rule with them. 
the Catholic Church, when uh, Constantine became em- emperor, he said, let's, let's marry the church and the state together and I'll be the head over it. Um, Protestants also, many of them embraced a wedding together of church and state. Muslims believe there can be no difference. All as God must be applied across the whole state. The religious right says we need to reclaim the positions of power to establish what is right. And the ideological left does the same thing. It is widespread. It is tempting to use political power to make things right. Is it not? Think about the war in Ukraine that's taking place. Just watched a show on that and the atrocities taking place. The oppression in Iran, in Syria, in Haiti. I was reminded of an old song. I don't know if any of you know this. Uh, If I Had a Rocket Launcher by Bruce Coburn. Anybody remember that song? Okay. Hey, all right. We've got a few. The song, just to be important, it's important. The song was inspired by Coburn's Oxfam visit during the Guata- into the Guatemalan refugee camps in Mexico following the, the uh, counterinsurgency campaign by the Guatemalan military dictator, uh, Efren Rios Montt. So he was there witnessing these kind of atrocities. All of the, you know, the people that have been uprooted and whose lives have been ruined by war and violence. And in his song, Coburn despairs of waiting for a political solution or any other to the crisis. And he expresses the desire to take matters into his own hands. And he imagines what it would be like if he had the power. And each verse, there's four verses, each verse ends with a line stating what he would do if he had a rocket launcher, a really big one. In the first Verse, if I had a rocket launcher, I would make somebody pay. And the second verse, if I had a rocket launcher, I would retaliate. And in the third, I would not hesitate, he says. And then finally, in that most famous controversial lyric, if I had a rocket launcher, some SOB would die. Jesus had access to much more than a rocket launcher, to all the powers of this world. Political, religious establishments, and Jesus refused in his response to use political or military power to establish God's kingdom on earth. It must not be done. And he would show the only way to truly establish a kingdom of peace on earth was not to retaliate in like manner in violence, but to absorb the violence and hatred of the world. That is an amazing victory that he achieved for us. And uh, the implications, applications... The first is that Jesus' victory was for us. It was achieved in principle here, here in the wilderness. If he had not won here, when it came down to it and he was 
on the cross and all of the weight of Rome and the religious leaders was against him, he would have pulled out the rocket launcher. Jesus' victory over the evil one is the victory you and I need for our salvation and for strength to overcome the temptations we face. His victory is the one that undoes Adam's failure and every human failure since and fulfills what God called Israel and what God calls us to do. We must look to his victory as our victory. We must put all of our hope, all our confidence, all of our security, all of our future upon him and let none of it rest on ourselves. Like the story of David and Goliath, right? David was the champion, you know, that took down the Goliath. Jesus is our greater champion who took down the enemy for us. And his victory is our victory. And secondly, Jesus models how to overcome temptation. It is important that Jesus be both our redeemer and our example we keep those together. Both are true and both are critically important for our lives. Jesus here models for us how to, A, resist the devil, B, in the power of the Spirit, C, with the wisdom of God's Word, and D, to accomplish God's will. One sentence, but it can be broken down to four parts. He teaches us how to resist the devil in the power of the Spirit, with the wisdom of God's Word, to accomplish God's will. That is very important. And thirdly and finally, we should expect temptation and prepare for it. Jesus did. That's what he was doing for those 40 days. He knew the test is coming. He wasn't just going to cram it all in in one day. He was immersing himself. He was memorizing and meditating on God's word. He was connecting with God about the mission that God had revealed to him. First Peter chapter 5 says, Be alert and of, sober, and of sober mind. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's someone, that's you and me. 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. Beyond what you are able, we need to take note, though, with Christ's help, not beyond what you are able on your own power. <laughs> not not. Often the power, though, that God gives as well is one another power. When Jesus will pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is asking his disciples to keep watch with him. Even the Son of God wanted that. James chapter 4, he will say, but God, talk about temptation, but God gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, you know, that, uh, and he says, resist the devil. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is what we're talking about. So above, above all, when we face temptations, remember, Jesus is with us and he is interceding for us. That's encouraging, is it not? Let us pray. Invite the worship team to come as we're praying.
Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are both our champion, our victor, and you are our example. And you are a high priest who, who intercedes for us, Lord, in the challenges of life that we face, the temptations. Lord, to misuse the power that we have to not be patient and to wait on you when you are calling us to be patient. Not to lash out at others, but to pray for our enemies. Lord Jesus, as you did. Lord, that takes the power of your spirit to do a work in us that is beyond what we can do on our own. And yet, Lord, you are the one who invites us to, to surrender our lives to you and to find that in doing so, we have a life that is more fulfilling than we could ever have on our own and that we have a strength available to us that is beyond anything that we have in our own. For Lord, it is then your power that is at work in us for your glory to accomplish the good that you have set out before us. Amen.